um, today as we're in this series called How Do I Know? How Do I Know? Coming up is things like How Do I Know the Bible is True? And there's a few other messages that are going to be coming. But today, I want to talk to you today about how do I know that God loves me? How do I know that God loves me? How do I know that God loves me? You know, my uh, sister Shane and my brother-in-law Gary are always here every week. They're part of our church. But my sister Julie's here. Would you wave, Julie? Hi, Julie. Good to see you. Some of you heard me share stories about Julie and Jackie and Shane. And um, so I just thought I might as well. That's who I'm talking about right there. Um, so uh, it's so good to have you with us, my sister. Okay. Um, so do you believe that God loves you? All of us would probably say a hearty, yeah, yeah, I believe he does. But if we were really gut level honest, we'd probably say there are some times when I, I, I say, yeah, yeah, for the most, I mean, sometimes though I kind of wonder because why? Things happen. Life happens. And we struggle and wonder, God, do you really love me? I think all of us at times have walked through seasons where we're like, God, do you like, kids, did you see what I just did, God? Do you, do you know what I just did? Of course he's God. He knows what you just did. In fact, he thought, uh, he knew what you were thinking before you actually did it. And so he knows it all. So do you still love me even though I messed up there? Even though I walked it, even though I did this or I did that? Let me just ask you, have you tasted God's love for you? Because you, you can know God loves you. You can know God loves you because your parents told you growing up your whole life, God loves you. In fact, let's sing a little song together. Jesus loves me. No, let's not sing it. But um, we, we make up songs to, talk, to make sure we drill into our children what? God loves you. You can just live on that. You can live on a kid's church leader or a Sunday school teacher or a youth pastor or, or, or a life group leader or a pastor getting up and telling you, God loves you. But have you really, really tasted the love of God? Do you really know the love of God? I believe God's brought you here today, even if this, this might be your first time here, or you might be a regular tender here. I believe God brought you here today because you need to hear this message and hear how much God really loves you. The um, <clears throat> great American preacher and theologian named Jonathan Edwards, he used this simple analogy. Look on the screen. There is a difference between having a rational judgment that honey is sweet and having a sense of its sweetness. You, you can know honey is sweet because someone tells you, but you don't really know its sweetness until you've tasted it, right? I mean, there, there's another um, uh, statesman, American statesman and pastor. His name is Scott Miller. He once said something similar. It's one thing to have someone tell you the amazing taste of an Essenhaus whoopie pie. It's a whole other thing to taste it and experience it yourself. Oh. Man, we had a birthday party for me and my father-in-law last week, and uh, we got like a dozen whoopie pie. Oh, wow. We were feasting. I say we. I was feasting. I didn't eat them all, but boy, I, those were great. Have you, t in this, have you tasted of the sweetness of the love of our Savior? 
In fact, my prayer for you all week, as I was studying this week, this verse just popped off the page into my heart. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 5. Jeremy started the whole service off. You might remember. Here it is. Now may the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and into the patience of Christ. Have you ever prayed that prayer? Lord, would you, would you, uh, would you direct my heart into your love? God, I'm struggling to really sense or feel because of things that have happened. I, I struggled. I just, would you lead me into your love? Because Paul realized that just a, uh, um, just kind of a been there, done that experience with God isn't where we have to stay. Paul, the apostle Paul realized in the anointing and direction of the Holy Spirit as he's writing scripture here, he realized that God's desire for you is to know the love of God, to understand the love of God. Would I suggest to you that there might be one thing, I think of, of all things, that, that when you and I go through a season or a time where we start to question the love of God, most of the time it's because of one thing, it's because of suffering and trials. In fact, if, if you're here today or maybe you're watching online and you've never made a commitment to follow Christ, You've never, you've never said, I'm not, I'm not gonna be baptized right now. I'm not ready to be baptized. I'm not putting my faith in Christ. I'm just kind of learning about this whole Christianity thing. Um, but all of us, it, it, it doesn't matter where you're at. All of us, whether you've put your faith in Christ or not, all of us suffer. And, and sometimes the thing that keeps some people from really putting their faith in Christ is because they see all the suffering in the world. Why are there hung, so many hungry people? Why are there people dying? Why do people die? It just doesn't make sense. There's situations in life where just, I, I can't understand if God is all powerful, then why would he allow suffering and why would he allow trials? We're gonna talk a little bit about that. But before I go any further, I don't have like an official dictionary definition of suffering and trials, but let me tell you what it's not. It's not consequences for your sin. There's a difference between walking through suffering and trial and a difference between walking in the consequences of my sin. What, is it, what do you mean, Scott? Well, that means if I go out and sin, lie, cheat, steal, fornicate, involved in immorality, whatever it is, if, if, if you or I do that, there are consequences to that sin. That's how, oh, that devil's really coming against me and I just went out and lied and cheated and pillaged. Um, <laughs> no, you sinned. And so I sinned, so now I'm gonna deal with the consequences of those sin, and God's grace will be there with me as I turn to him, submit, repent, you know, all that stuff. But that's, that's not really suffering in a trial. Suffering in a trial, biblically, are times when you didn't do anything. I mean, in, in essence, it's not like any of us are perfect, but I, you didn't do something. It, it wasn't something that you're now dealing with the effects of an action. No, this is just something that happened. It's like, and you're standing there, trying to feel the love of God as you're dealing with a health crisis or as you're dealing with a coming. In fact, here's the, here's the challenge I throw out to you. We cannot measure how much God loves us by how much health we, we have or he gives us, how much wealth he gives us, how comfortable our life it is. Because if, if we were to measure if we were to measure how much uh, and, and say that I think God loves me this much because of how healthy I am, how wealthy I am, how great I am, then he would have hated the Apostle Paul. God would have hated most all of the disciples and the apostles in the New Testament. 
Do you know, even the one whose gospel we're studying right now, the gospel of John, Christian tradition, not the Bible, but Christian tradition, other historical books say that John was actually boiled in oil. And, and it was after that that he was sent out to the island of Patmos and, and he wrote, uh, he had the revelation in the very last book of the New Testament. He was boiled in oil. Boy, if John would have been standing there saying, well, I must have done something really bad. <laughs> no. You see, because trial, tribulation, it comes to all of us. And the challenge that, that we've got to come to grips with is we've got to trust God through that trial, through that, through that suffering. And we, and we gotta understand that God wants to use that trial and that suffering to show us how much he loves us. Man, that's tough. Measure God's love, not by uh, how, how healthy you are, how wealthy you are, how comfortable you are. Measure God's love by, for you by how much he shows himself to you by what he did for you on the cross and the resurrection. That's how we measure, you know how much God loved you? This much, when he nailed himself on the cross, when they nailed him to the tree, they nailed him to the cross, and he rose again, he died, he went through all that he went through so that you and I could be free from our sin and redeemed. That's how much he loves you. You measure the love of God by that, by how much every time there's a preacher that stands up and preaches and declares the word of the Lord, and you're like, whoa, what did he just say? He might talk on and on, or she, as in last week, might talk on and on and on, but there's just one thing. Maybe in this whole message, there's gonna be one thing that all of a sudden you're gonna be like, whoa, I gotta remember that one. Do you know what that is? That says, that's God saying, I love you enough to, to give you someone to come up and teach and preach the scripture to help you apply it. That's how much God loves you. I mean, do you understand that? Let God show you his love in that when, when, even when you have those thoughts that are, mm -mm, you shouldn't go there, you're struggling with hating someone, you're struggling with, uh, with the pain of past hurts or the, whatever it is, that he still loves you. That, that when, 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 when you have uh, actions or thoughts that are not lining up with the word of God, he still loves you. In fact, in Psalm 139, he says, Oh Lord, you've searched me and you know you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You're familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O oh Lord. That's how much God loves you. Psalm 139, 13, for you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. And the words he declared to Joshua are still the same words that he declares to us today. Joshua 1.5, as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Even, Scott, when you're acting like a knucklehead, even when you're acting like a, uh, 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 as they used to say on the Dukes of, Dukes of Hazzard, um, you're, you're acting like a, a dipstick. You dipstick? Who is it, Cletus, you dipstick? Any Dukes of Hazzard fans? Okay. Uh, even, even when you reach that point, a, a level of dipstickness, um, listen, God still loves you. He still loves you. Do not allow trials and suffering in your life or in the lives of others to steal your sense of God's love for you. In fact, God wants to use your suffering to show you how much he loves you. Are you to John chapter 11 yet? If you're not, you're probably never gonna get there, so just hang on. John chapter 11, there's this guy named Lazarus. 
You may have heard of him. Let's read about it. Now, a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. We'll re- you would read about that, I think, in John chapter 12. Verse 3. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. Okay, stop for just a second. Do you remember growing up in your family? Did you have some family friends? I mean, did, was, there, was there another family that, man, we used to spend a lot of time together? Um, maybe Saturday nights, Friday nights, your families would get together and do this and whatever. I mean, did you have family friends like that? Well, as you study the scripture, it seems like Mary, Martha, and Lazarus and their family and Jesus were pretty tight. It seems like they were, they were, they were that kind of like anytime I'm anywhere near your location, I'm gonna come and hang out with you guys. We're gonna have meals together and we're gonna fellowship together. And notice what it says in verse three again, um, Lord, the one you love is sick. They didn't even use Jesus's, or excuse me, Lazarus's name. It just said, the one you love is sick. Okay, we're building a case here. Jesus loves Lazarus. Jesus loves Mary and Martha. Let's keep going. Verse four. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. Notice for the God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Verse five, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Jesus loved, stop just right there for a second. Jesus loved Martha and her sister Mary and Lazarus. Lazarus. John, the, the writer of this gospel, is stressing this. He's stressing, I want you guys to understand. Jesus wants us to understand how much he loved this family. And how much, so much so that they didn't even say the name Lazarus. It's the one you love. In verse three, and verse five, declares it again. This is the family Jesus loved. And that is so important for us to get because I believe the writer of John, John, he knows that what Jesus is about to do here does not feel like love to most people. Don't go there yet, but what, when we read verse six, you're gonna, you're gonna see something be like, uh, that doesn't quite sound like love to me. I don't, I, I, if, if, if you really love them, Jesus, I'm not sure verse six would have ever happened. In fact, let's look at verse six now, okay. Yet, stop right there. NIV says yet. Some of the other versions say so. Um, correct, uh, p- perhaps the correct word there would be therefore. So if you think about verse five, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Verse six, therefore, when he heard that Lazarus was sick, what did he do? He stayed where he was for two more days. What? Does that make sense to you? The one you love? has come, the one you love is dying? And he's like, okay, let's just stick around here for two more days. This makes no sense in the natural, and it doesn't say as soon as he heard someone was sick, you think it'd be like, okay, I'm going. I'm out of here. Nope, he stuck around where he was for two more days. 
Jesus loved Lazarus, loved that family, knew they would be walking through the valley of the shadow of death. Yet he said, I'm not gonna go for two more days. Think about this. Because Jesus loved Lazarus and Mary and Martha, he stayed two days longer and let them walk through this hurt and this pain so that he could show them his glory and show them the peace they need and bring glory to the Father. Jesus wanted to use this tragedy. Jesus wanted to use this situation to point others to the Father and bring glory to the Father in the same way he wants to use our issues, our uh, trials. Let me me show you a picture here, help drive this point home. Look at this picture. This right here, uh, it it was about, uh, I don't know, four or five months ago, I met a a missionary, a church planter guy. He's going to the UK, um, Jason and Sheila Fisher. And they have, I think, a a seven-year-old daughter named Grace. And so I'm I'm walking out of a a certain uh, establishment here in the community where I often take missionaries for lunch. And... um, uh, and, and so we're walking out of the Essen house and he's like, hey, come to my, my, my car here. Um, I've got some more, a, a packet, good missionary. I got a packet. I got information I wanna give you. And so, okay. So I walk and I, uh, any, I walk up to this green Dodge Durango. And I was like, this is not your typical missionary car. I, I you know, I have fellowship with a lot of missionaries at this point in my life. And, and most of them have those little Hondas, <laughs> you know, not a gas guzzling Dodge Durango, let me tell you. It's got a Honda, it's got a Toyota. They've got something that's gonna get good gas mileage because they're driving maybe 10,000 miles in three months, you know, that type of a thing. So I, I never forgot this Dodge Durango. It's like, of all the missionary cars, it maybe is one of my favorites. I'll just be honest with you. I was like, good for you, woo And um, so I'm flipping through social media about two weeks ago. And, and I see this Dodge Durango, but it looks a lot different than the time I saw it in the parking lot of the Essen House. And so I read the little caption. Two weeks ago, they were coming home, um, heading east, I believe, on 44 in southern Missouri, heading towards St. Louis, where they lived. So they're heading east. And it was, I believe it was a Sunday afternoon. And they hit what they call one of the worst rain, wind storms that they had ever driven through. And it was just almost like a blackout. And it just came up on them. And for whatever reason, their Dodge Durango lost, started hydroplaning, lost control, and it rolled. It rolled twice, once, twice, and it ended up in the center median up against the, the median, just like that, the right side up. So I'm reading this, and I thought, oh, man. And, and so um, Sheila, sitting in the passenger seat, grabs her phone. Had a, you know, As you can see, some of the, the glass was knocked out and whatever. I mean, it was pretty traumatic. Once they kind of came to, and it's like, oh, we got to get some help here grabbed her phone and, and called. And, and of course, the dispatch was like, oh, do you know where you're at? And, you know, shock, everything's setting in. So they're just like, we have no idea. And we can't even see a mile marker at this point. We don't. And moments later, the dispatch said, are you in a green Durango? And, and she said, yes. And she said, okay, we're on our way. Fast forward, that was Sunday. Fast forward to Tuesday. They put this... Um, uh, on the social media and they begin to tell the story. They were all okay, even their seven-year-old in the backseat. Of course, they were all wearing seatbelts. Um, they got a lot of bruising and a lot of trauma, of course, just from going through rolling over twice and being sent. Um, but they're all okay. And there was a pastor, though, a pastor. Let me make sure I get his name right here. Oh, 
Pastor Paul Richardson. He's a pastor in Missouri. In fact, he happens to be a pastor in Missouri that actually supports the Fishers as a missionary who was coming from the other direction at that exact same time. And when he's flipping on Tuesday through social media, he sees a green Durango and he begins to read the story about the Fishers and he messages them right away and says, you're not gonna believe this. I saw it all happen. He said, I was coming from the other direction. These are his words, quote, that was one of the craziest storms I'd ever driven in. We watched you roll twice. You landed softer than you should have and you landed upright. We couldn't get to you because the storm was so bad. They were past it by that time. So they took the first exit and they called 911 right away and, and said, hey, there's a green Dodge Durango that just rolled over twice and they need help. Where are you at? Exit so-and-so, okay. Do you remember earlier in the story? Are you in a green Dodge Durango? Yes. Okay, we're on our way. Do you see how God just set that up? I mean, it wasn't even just a stranger coming from the other way. It was a pastor who was from a supporting church of the fish. I mean, it's, that just was chance. I just, you know, that was, that was chance. The, the odds of that were really high, really high. Right? No, that was a God thing. And so when I hear stories like that, and when I read that, I just thought, what a reminder of what? of God's love, of how much he loves and he looks after us and cares for us, 95%. And then 5%, what else are we thinking? 5%, if I were honest with you, and I'm a pastor, I'm preaching, I should be. I had this thought, God, if you could orchestrate all of that, couldn't have you orchestrated a little bit more rubber to be on those tires to keep them from ever having the accident in the first place? Come on. I mean, have you ever had thoughts like that? I mean, I don't want to take away from the sovereignty of God and God, thank you for the way you worked all that out. But in my mind, in the natural, what am I thinking? I'm thinking, couldn't have you kept that from happening? I mean, how many times have we thought about our parents on, on August the 10th, 1990? I mean, just one second later, whatever drunk driver that killed my parents and our parents. I mean, just, you just think about things like that. It's like, why? I, I'm here to stand before you today to declare to you that I'm gonna tell you why they're suffering. It's because God says, I love you. And he says, I'm sovereign. And I, I have a vision for your life that you're never gonna understand this side of heaven. And you gotta trust me. And as you walk through suffering, and as you walk through trial, God says, I want to show you my love. I don't understand it all. And most of us never will, this side of heaven. But the fact of the matter is that God wants to use suffering. In fact, we got to be very careful that um, I, I heard uh, Robert Morris, uh, Pastor Robert Morris talked about it this way. Um, there's an earthly conversation and there's a heavenly conversation. Let's make sure we submit to the heavenly conversation. What are you talking about, Scott? Look in your Bibles. You still got them open to John chapter 11? Look at verse, verse 11. After he said this, he went on to tell him, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. Fallen asleep, Bible terminology means he's dead. I'm gonna go wake him up. I'm gonna raise him from the dead. That is a heavenly conversation. That is a heavenly way of looking things. Um, so look at verse 12. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. <laughs> that is an earthly conversation. 
Lord, if he's sleeping, that's the best thing you can do for a sick person. When he wakes up, give him a little Sprite, maybe a little ginger ale, some soda crackers, just not, don't eat a lot. No gulps, no gulps, just sip, just sip, just sip. No gulps, just sip. So my mom, I remember her saying that, just sip, no gulps, just sip. It'll settle your stomach. It'll, it'll, just, it'll cause things just to work out of you that need to get worked out. And, 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 and it's just like earthly conversation. Look at verse 13. Um, John just comes right and says it. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. Verse 14, so when, when then he told them plainly, okay, let's put the cookies on the bottom shelf for everybody to reach. Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I'm glad I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Do you see the difference between a, uh, another way of saying it is, is let, God, give us your eyes to see this situation. Give us your eyes to look at this because I can't understand all this. I can't grasp, I can't process all this myself. And, and um, even as we look at the current situation we're in, um, with the with the COVID nineteen and all these things and maybe other things you're walking through, if we're honest, this is a challenge to see things through God's eyes. But imagine the conversation between um, uh, let's just say John and and Mary and Martha and Lazarus once they got once they got to heaven. I mean, imagine that conversation. Three of them walk up to John in heaven. Hey, John, how you doing? Good. Um, you remember us? You wrote about, oh, yeah, I remember you guys well. I wrote about you in my gospel. Yeah, okay, good. I just want to make sure we knew who we were. Um, remember that time when you wrote about how uh, we sent word, Lazarus, right here, Lazarus, Lazarus was, was dead uh, and, or sick, and we called for Jesus. What did you guys do for those two days? I mean, why didn't you guys come right away? And imagine that conversation. And John was like, awkward. <laughs> well, actually, we didn't, we didn't really do anything. <laughs> we had kind of a nice setup tent by the lake. I mean, uh, I, I don't, it was just, I, we didn't do anything. Okay. They find Jesus. Can you imagine the conversation? Lazarus, Mary, and Martha walking up to Jesus in heaven. Hey, Jesus, Jesus, can we talk to you? Just a minute, just a minute. You know, everything turned out right, so no hard feelings. But listen. Remember that time when we sent word that Lazarus was sick? And remember that time? Oh, yes, I remember. Jesus talks like that. Oh, yes, yes, I remember. And, and, and you, you, we sent word, and you stayed there for two days. What did you do for those two days? Why did you wait those two days? And you know what he would say to them in heaven? He'd say, because I, I love you. You see, when we see a trial or suffering come our way, we have a hard time seeing it as the love of God. But James chapter one, verse two says this, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance and let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. God says, I wanna use a trial in your life. I wanna use a trial I want to use suffering in your life to help you see my love. Do you get that? By the way, this was the miracle that really pushed the Pharisees over the edge. This was the miracle that led Jesus to the cross, really. I mean, this is the one that's like, okay, if he's raising people from the dead after they've been dead, not just one day, but four days, we, we got to throw this guy on the cross. He's got way too much power. He's got way too much. So you wonder, 
What is a God allowing right now in my life, in the life of our nation, in the life of people that I love? Why? Because he loves us and he wants to show us. Listen, we can't see everything. The very thing that might make you feel like God doesn't love you might be the very thing that God is allowing to happen in your life to show you his love and reveal his glory to you because God loves you. God loved Mary and Martha and Lazarus. Very next verse, and so he waited two days. He waited two days. Think about this. Now, I know some of you are really gonna struggle with this message, and rightfully so, and wrestle with it. As we conclude this message, though, I want you to begin to think of something. What trial, what suffering are you walking through right now? You're wondering, how in the world can God be glorified in this current situation I find myself in? Do you know that between the death of Lazarus and his resurrection four days later, because if you read the rest of the story, Jesus called him out of the grave. He'd been dead not for one day, not for two days, but this was the one miracle of calling people back from the dead that went way longer than any of the others. He was dead for four days. In fact, was it Martha or Mary that King James says, he stinketh. <laughs> mm -hmm. He stinketh because four days, he's rotting, decay sets in and those things. And Jesus called him out of the grave. So we know that happened. But you know that between the death of Lazarus and his resurrection, his family could not see how in the world God could be glorified through this. I mean, as you read on, you, I love using this in funerals because I can so just connect with it when I, when I share in funerals. Because um, the sisters go up to Jesus like, Jesus, if you would have been here, this wouldn't have never happened. Because I think all of us, uh, we can relate to that. It's like, I thought you loved us. I mean, that's really what they're, I thought you loved us. I thought you were with us. And, and, and Jesus says, I, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work some things for, for your good and my glory. Just trust me on this. And some of you right now are in a season of those four days. Not literally, but figuratively. My challenge to you is this. There will be suffering you will experience here on earth that you will never completely understand this side of heaven. And we've got to be okay with that. I don't know if okay is the word. We've got to trust God through that. I don't know why that happened when you were a kid. I don't know why what happened to you when you were a child and you were most vulnerable and they took advantage. I, I can't explain that. I don't know why he or she walked away from your marriage. I'm so sorry that you had to walk through that. I don't know why your health went south. I, I don't understand all that. You can eat as healthy as you want, exercise every day, but there's still time when, when health, your health, you're gonna, we're, our bodies are just that way. I don't understand all those things. And at some point, we've got to come to a point where I'm going to put my faith and my trust in a God that's so much bigger than me. His ways are not my ways, and that's probably good, right? And I'm going to trust Him. And I'm going to trust that even in my suffering, even in my trial, He's going to reveal His love to me. 2 Thessalonians 3.5, look at this once more. Now may the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God. It's been my prayer for you all week. All week, 
Now may the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God. How can I get there? Action point, here it is. Take this from this message today. Apply it this way. Become dissatisfied with your present experience with God. Cultivate a holy discontentment. The person who prays this prayer is looking for something more than he or she already has. Lord, direct my heart into your love. We live in a been there, done that culture, and the great danger is developing that in our Christianity. I know God loves me, that Jesus died for me, and that my sins are forgiven. I've been in the water, went down, praise God, he brought me back up. I, I've, I understand, I've been, in the, I've been filled with the Holy Spirit. I've been baptized in the Holy Spirit. I'm there. Check, 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 check. And what's going to happen is if it's just a checklist of spiritual moves and things that you want to experience, then one day someone's going to stand before the congregation and says, do you really believe that God loves you? And you're like, oh, yeah, yeah, pretty, yeah, pretty much, yeah. When down deep inside you know that there's still a part of you that just says, I, yeah, I do, but sometimes I just don't feel it. Let me just tell you, it is more than a feeling, but God wants you to feel his love. He wants you to sense his love. And that's the prayer of 2 Thessalonians 3, 5. May the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God. Pray that prayer. Father, direct my heart into your love. The truth of God's word for you as it pertains to God's love is it's real and he does love you. Let him show you. Father, direct my heart into your love. Would you stand with me as we pray?